welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, ladies. How are you this morning? Good morning. Well, so we've been kind of focused the past couple of weeks on modules five and six, and we wanted to kind of add a little bit. We want to delve in a little bit deeper into modules five and six. And Dominique, you came up with a great concept, something that we hear about at Allies in Recovery quite frequently. Why don't you talk about that? So craft was designed for families and it focuses, as we all know, on that interaction to start with in the daily moment when you're present with your loved one and what you can do in response. That is a better way to respond than you have in the past. So there's a lot of communication and a lot of work to get you to encourage conversation, encourage sharing from your loved one being there in a way that's non-judgmental so that your loved one will start talking to you and you will learn what's going on and you will be the one they go to when they need help. In the research, if you wanted to be a steady participant in the craft research, you had to say that your loved one and you had 40% or more contact, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it is, but regular contact at least 40% of the time. This ruled out a lot of families whose loved one isn't in the local area, who are perhaps thousand miles away, that only communicate through a phone or an email or a text, right? And over the years, we've worked with families like this and we've created and thought through with them ways of growing that little bit of connection of having families who have to depend on that level of connection to understand better what what their role is when it's so limited. How do you reward? How do you remove a reward? How do you allow a natural consequence when your adult son is calling from 3,000 miles away and needs money, um, the car's dead, and thanks a lot for the rent for the month or the hotel room that you're paying for, but now I need money for a car because it's broken. Tons of things like this go on all the time. And so let's talk about what families can say, what families can do in periods where there's little contact. Remember that 40%, those are parameters for research, which doesn't mean that if you're not 40% of the time in contact with your loved one, that craft, you can't apply craft. You can't, you can. It's just that 40% was for research purposes. And that's the wonderful thing about communication and craft ways of communicating and the craft skills is that it's based in psychological principles, these proven methods in all walks of life, right? Pulled out of things like motivational interviewing. So we know that these communication skills work and work well. So just because the research is based on 40% doesn't mean you can't. And in fact, you absolutely can use these skills. And I hear it all the time. I hear it in meetings all the time. My loved one doesn't live with me. You know, we live in Tennessee, they're in Texas or Florida or, you know, wherever. But I believe you start with, you start with as soon as you get that phone call, 
hey, how are you? And there's no discussion about the person's issues, addiction. It's, oh, oh gosh, this is great. It's wonderful to hear from you and to just kind of go with that. What do you think? What are your thoughts, Dominique? Well, I, I do think in that, great to hear from you, how are you? The back of you is quickly sizing up the sound of the voice, the tone, the request, the time of day, the time of the week. You have to do the same thing that you do if they're in front of you. Are they using in this moment or not? If my mother calls after 6 p.m. at night, I'm about 97% sure she's already had one or two. And so you know at 6 p.m. or later that you're dealing with a, a mom that's already started to drink. You have to ask yourself, if I continue in this conversation without talking about addiction or anything heavy, am I inadvertently reinforcing the next glass of wine? Is she gonna just cozy up with the bottle and talk to me for an hour? And then I'm gonna start to hear the, the tone and the, and the voice changing and she's gonna perk up even, you know, all those things I know so well. Is that what I'm going to tolerate? Is that what I'm going to do when she calls again? And you have to ask yourself, what can I do to pull away from that? If I don't want to make it look like it's all normal, it's all good, go ahead, keep drinking, I'm right here. So what can I do when my mother does that? Well, to be honest with you, I think, I think it's very normal and natural if mom calls and you haven't heard from mom in a while and you're all excited, oh, yay. Yay, she called, we're going to talk, to want to kind of stay in the conversation to soothe yourself, right? Because then it becomes about, well, I don't want to get off the phone. I don't know when I'm going to hear from her again. And I do want to hear from her. I do want to hear her voice. So I think it's a really difficult thing to do, but I think it's really important to do exactly what you're saying and kind of disengage in the moment. And take some baby steps. Hey, it's really wonderful to hear your voice. So I want to hear from you. That's the message that I'm sending. It's really wonderful to hear your voice. I'm so glad you called. I can tell right now might not be the best time for us to hold a discussion. Why don't we plan on a conversation tomorrow afternoon? Or maybe at a time, you know, maybe two days from now. Or if you know when mom actually isn't drinking or is drinking a lot less, plan on that time, right? Well, you know, I know mom doesn't start drinking until after lunch or she pours herself a cocktail at lunch. So how about tomorrow morning or two days from now at nine o'clock in the morning? Let's have a phone call then. But right now I've got to get going. And I realized what we were saying in the prep for this morning applies here. I want to hear from my mother. I haven't heard from her in a few days. You know, am I, am I really going to cut her off? Am I going to be able to do that? Am I going to upset her? Is she not going to call for another week because of this? And so it's not an easy thing what we're suggesting to do here. It's a very hard thing to do if you're going to consider the daughter, me, and what I've been going through and worrying about and how much can I actually do? And so we're asking you to baby step, again, incrementally, just try once when you realize it's just this pattern conversation, have a reason 
and maybe it's not, this is not a good time. I can feel that, you know, that whatever, if that's going to set her off, then come up with a common excuse and start to use it. Do whatever you can to back yourself out of it neutrally and plan, as Lori's saying, for a time of day when you know your mother isn't drinking as much. And she may not want to do that. So you may end up like at five o'clock after one or two, and you may need to just say, okay, I know she's had one headed for two or three because I know her so well. I'm going to make this a 15-minute conversation, and then I'm going to find a way off. And, and that way I get a little bit of for her and I get a little bit for me and we've touched base and I, I can feel like I've done what I can for the day. In ending a conversation, well, actually in, in a lot of my interaction, when I need to remove those immediate rewards like this, right? Ending the conversation, not engaging in the conversation, I usually will blame myself. There's some reason why I have to go. Right. So it's like now is not a good time for me. You know what? I tell you what, I have some time tomorrow afternoon at around 11 o'clock. How about if you give me a call right around then tomorrow? I really would love to chat, but right now is not a good time for me to talk. So I've got to go. Well, and I think I think those are the ways that it starts changing discussions, because a lot of times it's like we we start out with I got to go. And that's that makes people feel bad. And you know, it's funny because I'm a very abrupt speaker. So I've had to add extra words into my vocabulary to be able to have transitions. So for example, it would be like, you know, I'm really sorry, I'm distracted right now. And I really want to give you my full attention. I don't feel like I'm really able to give you full attention like you deserve. So but tomorrow I have this chunk of time, I would love to speak to you then. So I'm going to give you a call back. If you're around, great. If not, we'll try some other time. Because I feel like every time we box somebody in, we have the rebellious thing. So it's more like flexibility. Like I'll give you a try. If you're home, great. If not, we'll try some other time. We'll just keep trying. But I really want to finish this conversation because I miss you. Right. Because the other thing is when we're removing immediate rewards, doesn't mean we're trying to punish someone. We're not trying to send the message, oh, you're at it again. That's not the goal. The goal here is to just simply remove immediate rewards. Um, and we haven't talked a tremendous amount about it, but and to allow for natural consequences. So it's natural if someone's been drinking to not hold a conversation with them. What's the point? What's the point of holding a conversation with someone who's been drinking? You're not going to get anywhere. You don't know if they'll even remember the conversation the next day. And so one of the best things you can do is just go, okay, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to wait until there's a time when we really can have a good conversation with each other. But also notice that we're not making any pronouncements. Like I'm not going to speak to you when you're drinking. I'm not going to speak to you when you're drunk. That's a pronouncement. I'm never going to talk to you when you're doing this. We're not addressing the behavior in this conversation. We're talking about ourselves and taking ourselves out of it. So what happens is that the the craft model is based on the other person kind of internally realizing, oh, every time I'm drunk, my kid won't talk to me or my kid wants to get off the phone. Plus, it's like when you're drunk, you don't remember anything anyway, or you certainly don't remember anything accurately. And so it's really important that we try to find the time when they're not doing the thing. That's exactly what Dominique is saying. It's like, let's think about, and 
that functional analysis is when are the day, the times of the day that they're not doing this? So let me try to reach out then. And I'm going to initiate that call. So it's kind of, if you look at what we're talking about, it's this like set of tools. It's different things that we're saying. So one is to remove yourself. Two is the natural consequences is that you're removing yourself which is the immediate consequence. And then the second part is might be something else that we might not be aware of. But then the other part of it is that we're going to continue to try for positive connection, which means that we need to have some kind of awareness about when that might be. And we're not even talking about the people that have no idea what the person's doing when they're not with us. And they might be on the street or they might be in a shelter or whatever, which gives even less control over what we can do at those moments and how they're actually behaving. And we have to deal with our own reactivity to, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is tragic. I got to do something. And our own resentment. And I was going to actually bring this up. I was going to ask you, Dominique, what you thought about this too, is oftentimes our loved ones aren't calling us just to chat. They're not. They're calling us for something. I need money for rent. I need you to get my prescription. I need to have my car fixed, right? So they're they're calling for something. It isn't just a, oh, you know, I was thinking of you. And when that happens, I think a lot of family members, what happens is you pine for that phone call. You know, you want that phone call. You want to hear from them. It's going to relieve your anxiety. At least you know that they're safe. And all you're experiencing is this love and this connection. And then they call and it they're not all that involved in that love and that connection and soothing and thrilled to be talking to you. They're there to ask you for something. And then we become really resentful. Ah, oh, you know, that jerk doesn't really care about me. They just want something out of me. And it's really hard to hold that resentment and to get through the conversation and to know what to do. Because then on top of it, oftentimes I call them high pressured calls. Oftentimes they're these high pressured calls to get something out of you and to pull on your heartstrings. And the situation may be really very dire. They may be telling the whole truth. And what do you do? And so my question to you, I, I know how I like to approach these things, but what do you think, Dominique? What are your, what do you think family members should be doing when someone's calling them high pressured phone call? They're 2000 miles away. The car is broken down. They're going to have to sleep on the highway and it's freezing cold outside. You know, what, what do you do? How does the family member handle that? So that's a different call than calling high. It's a call for resources and it's very similar to them being in front of you asking for something. They're just far away and doing it, right? So I'm gonna throw it back to you, Lori. As the mom, I'm calling you, I need $40. I need you to wire me $40. I need gas. I can't get to work. Whatever the situation is, you're going into this, this well-worn conversation about, I need something from you. What is it that you say back? Now, they're not necessarily high, so you're not getting off the phone for that reason. And that's the natural consequences of being high is nobody wants to talk to you. This is one of those, I need something from you calls. I'm going to add another call thing, which is true story that the person said to their, to their mom, I owe these gang members money. So if you don't give me $40, they're going to kill me. 
And there may be some legitimacy to that as well, right? And I think that these are really complicated calls. These are really complicated calls. And I think it's really important for the family member to start assessing and kind of thinking through, is this a repeated call? Is this something that's actually chronic and not really a crisis? Or is it a crisis? And to kind of think ahead of time, what are you going to do? Have a plan before the phone call comes in. When I get phone calls like that, which I don't really get them very frequently anymore, I, I got them more years ago. I had already kind of created a plan for myself. So if I was going to be asked for money, it wasn't going to happen. I, under any circumstances, you know, death by the drug dealer, whatever it was, you weren't going to get cash out of me. How did you come up with that, Lori? Because I determined that it was my money. And if I don't want my money going towards drugs, then I'm the one who has to be responsible with my money. So, so if my son is calling me, I know this is a, this is one of the big things that happens in Florida. It's called the, it's the steel toe boot trap. And the steel-toed boot trap is, I got a job, a day job working for a construction company. They're going to hire me for like the next five days, but I need steel-toed boots. And parents would pay for these steel-toed boots. And then they would go and sell the steel-toed boots to get the cash. And then they would go and use substances. So I did get a phone call like that. And I had already decided, Hey, it's my money. I don't want my money going towards drugs. You're not getting cash out of me. It's just not going to happen. And really, to be honest with you, a lot of the time it was to soothe myself. You're starving to death. Okay. Tell me where you are. I'll have a pizza delivered. You want food? Okay. Tell me where you are. I'll have, you know, I'll call Publix because he was in Florida at the time, but I'll call Publix and I'll have them deliver groceries to your house. I wouldn't even give gift cards because I knew that gift cards, there's those gift card cash machine things in the stores and you can just go in and put the card in and, and you get money out of the machine. Yeah. Or they'll trade the gift cards for drugs. So I, I really got crafty with, with things. And I also started learning things like, I don't have to always feed him. I can say, here's a pantry. Here's a food pantry location near you. I'll Uber you to the food pantry. And I could pay for the Uber from my phone without money having to go through his hands at all. And so I did a lot of things like that. One, I think it was to soothe myself because I have a funny feeling there's lots of ways to get food. You can go dumpster diving in the back of restaurants. I mean, there's there's lots of creative ways that people get fed. So I always had a plan and it was always no, no money. Even if my son had called me, I think, and said, you know, the drug dealer is going to kill me. I would have been like, okay, well, then we need to move you somewhere else so that they can't find you. Where are we going to move you to? Because I'm not sending you cash. <laughs> I'm not. Where are we going to move you to? How are we going to get you out of that situation without giving you my money? And so this is all very hard stuff. And now you have the loved one going, I am homeless. I have nowhere to sleep tonight. It's cold. 
And so what's the response to that potentially? And when we're saying what's the response, we're saying you have to fit this into your own life, your own context, your own abilities to do this. What Lori's saying about the money for food is well-worn experience. She's had to do it a number of times. Money for food is one of the classics, right? Money because I have nowhere to sleep. It's a classic. We just finished watching this mom try to catch her daughter through Connecticut as she sort of burned this hole with drug dealers and family members paying for hotel rooms one night here, one night there. She would call and say, I'm just going to sleep in the back of the car. I can't, it's cold. And somebody, one of her entourage, um, either the husband or the boyfriend, somebody would buy her a hotel room for the night. And this went on for months and months and months. She patched together months of homelessness by getting the occasional hotel room. And it's so hard to not say yes to that if you have the money. If you don't, then I'd rather the family have the list of, of shelters or maybe a single occupancy room that isn't a hotel room, something less expensive that is only for one night. Maybe you go, okay, for one night, I'm going to do this. Um, but I'm not going to be able to do this again. The shelters are nearby. Here's a wet shelter. I can tell you've been drinking. Here's a wet shelter um, where they'll allow you to come in intoxicated. But you're going to have to line up tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. to get the room. Here's what you're going to do. So you have all the specifics and the details set for them. But this is what you can do. And even that, right, you need money. You need to be calm. You need to be able to say it. You need to be ready for a reaction that's going to be screw you. You mean you're not going to you're going to you're not going to put me in a hotel. You're going to let me stay out here. There's a lot to this. And remember, what we're doing here is applying craft principles in a way that really it wasn't done in the research. In the research, they never talked about your loved ones three thousand miles away, homeless. But we have to, and much of our work is about applying craft to the real life circumstances that involve everybody that's got loved ones with an addiction issue. And the one thing I want to say, just based on what you just said, was that that line of you're going to let me be homeless, you're going to let me be out there, you're going to let me starve. I, I actually think that's the core message of craft is that we're not making this happen to our loved one. And we need to not feel responsible for us doing this to them, because that's how we take away their power. Like, I'm doing this to you. I've made you homeless. I've made you a drug addict. I've made you starve to death. It's like people are making choices every day about what they were going to do, which is why, like, you could get somebody a great situation. And there we what we see over and over is they leave. They leave. They choose not to engage in that. So we need to be really clear. Not that we're going to say this to them, but we need to know that they're making choices every day. And what craft is about is we're starting to make choices for ourselves too. I agree with you, Kayla, because that is what happens. The loved one then starts throwing it back at the family member and kind of blaming them. What kind of mother would let her son freeze outside at night, right? That kind of thing. And it just is really difficult, really difficult. It's really hard not to feel like you're responsible for this. But there's a few things to bear in mind too. And that is that this can be done in stages. So maybe you're not ready to say no cash, or maybe you're not ready to say, I'm not going to put them up in a hotel room. 
for me, it was stages, right? I did put my son up in a hotel room. Actually, it was a motel in a really bad section of Florida, not a good place for him to be. But we put him up in a motel for a couple of nights. And it was a process for me. It was like, he can't be safe in this motel room. He's probably using and using alone. That's not good, right? I would prefer him be on the streets and have someone walk by him and find him than be in the motel room and using alone. He also had a car. So my thoughts were, you know what? I've got to stop paying for the motel room. And I let him know ahead of time, hey, this is our last night of paying for this motel room. After that, you're going to have to sleep in your car or go to a shelter or, you know, or go to treatment and have a warm bed there or whatever it is, but you're going to have to. And he knew I, I meant it because every time I had said things to him, he knew, he knew I would follow through and we did do it through that process. He did spend the night in the car. I felt it was a little bit safer, not safe, but a little bit safer in that at least, you know, if he's parked in a parking lot somewhere, the police are bound to go by and go, you know, move along or what are you doing in there or, you know, whatever it is, but it wasn't easy. It was incredibly painful for me to do. I did feel responsible. I had to just keep telling myself that things needed to change and it actually wasn't safe what we were doing before. And what you said, Lori, it is that difficult. And keep in mind with craft, it's just for the day. It's just for the moment. What you're doing is an overnight. It's a quick temporary fix if you have to do it. Either way, you're, you're not looking at anything longer than a day or two, right? You're trying to stay in the moment in the day with them. And part of the options that you're giving them, because you're prepared for this, I need a something conversation, is here's the wet shelter, here's the dry shelter. I'll keep your car running so you can sleep in your car. And here's the treatment. You know, part of this is not reinforcing the drug use by lifting the bottom and giving them places to stay anytime they ask, which doesn't protect them as Lori's saying. It just means they have a place to use um, and they haven't spent the money on shelter. They, they have whatever money they're dredging up, they have it for, for drug use. So the range of options goes, you can sleep under the bridge, you can sleep in the car, we'll give you one night of hotel, but here's the treatment. Here's where you can get a nice warm bed. And when you are ready, this is open for you. And I have helped so many families get their loved ones off the street by just saying, when you're ready, they know your name at the door. We've started the admissions process. They're going to take you. Wow, huh? But young women on the streets who are using, who have lots of other conditions, you know, they're so lost, 19, 20, 21, they're, they're living in the street. It's super dangerous. I've been able to help in several cases that I'm thinking of, the mom work out, where are they going to walk into to get some help? whether it's a recovery center, a residential program. And many times I try to find like a gender specific program for this young woman because there's so much going on. It includes a bad boyfriend, you know, it, it includes a whole lot of things that they really are in a lot of danger. They need to get off the street. Make sure you, if you can find that door to treatment that will open for them. That's essentially the best option. You give them the other options, but you say, this is also when you're ready, they have your name, they're gonna take you. Not easy to do, but that is 
that is the range of options. We have to stop for today. This is a very important conversation. Again, what we've done here is we're applying craft in all these ways that can address all kinds of families that have addiction in their families with loved ones that are at any point anywhere. Great. So we're at the end of our conversation today. Kayla, can you just kind of wrap up what, what we talked about? Yeah, just basically what we're talking about is that you need to start paying attention to yourself in this process, as well as your loved ones, because if you're doing things that actually give you more anxiety after the fact, that's not a great tool. And what we're talking about, and if you think about what Lori is saying, is this is a progression. You try things. And what was interesting about listening to you, Lori, it's like you keep stepping back a little bit more over time. So you're not making gigantic changes. You're basically doing shifting of behavior. So you're shifting your behavior and noticing what works, what doesn't work. And then you keep backing up a little bit more and it allows you to actually be able to do it because you've tried the other things and that you see that they don't work. So, so see this as a process of you changing your behavior over time in terms of how do you respond to somebody that is asking you for things and contact with them and how to actually make your part of it more helpful and not part of the harm. Okay, great. Have a great week. Bye, ladies. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.